Welcome back to The Shorter, a podcast on the shorter characters where two pastors take 20-something minutes to confess their life in one seven questions of the Westminster Shorter Characters. I'm your host, Tony Parker, and I'm joined by my co-host, Stephen Spillover. Well, this is getting released on Monday, August 30th, correct? That is correct. That's what this day is, this episode day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's exciting. Uh, we have painters coming to paint the outside of Westminster Presbyterian Church. So it's going to be nice pearly white. And so begins our building renovation that we're fixing to do in the next six months here. So pretty exciting. Yeah. That's awesome. This church looks like it's been around for 50 years. So it'll be nice to bring it up into the 21st century. You don't to have the, popcorn ceilings. To the 80s? To the, it's, it's in the 80s right now. Uh, oh. If this building, you know, we're walking down the street, you'd think, man, that building's probably listening to some Billy Idol or some Sticks. It's just not a good look. So we're going to bring it up to the Bruce Benedict 21st century kind of aesthetic, I guess, yeah. right? Nice, classy. The matechism is also classy. Yeah. I saw you snuck in another Bruce Benedict there. Well, I get two a week, so I can interchange them. Thank you. So Right in the fence. Yeah. Now... Today, we're talking about sacraments. There's a ton that we could say about sacraments. We won't be able to say everything, and we don't want to say everything because we want to save a couple of cards for the sacraments themselves, namely the Lord's Supper and baptism. But today, we're going to talk about what sacraments are and how they work. So I'm going to read the questions, and then we'll dive in, and Tommy will kind of plot the course for us. We'll start with question 91. How do the sacraments become effectual means of salvation? The sacraments become effectual means of salvation, not from any virtue in them or in him that doth administer them, but only by the blessing of Christ and the working of his spirit in them that by faith receive them. Question 92. What is a sacrament? A sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ, wherein by sensible signs, Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. 93. Which are the sacraments of the New Testament? The sacraments of the New Testament are baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so today we're actually going to take these out of order. And we're going to start with 92, right? Which Yeah, we're going to look at 92 and talk about what is a sacrament, then move back to 91. Uh, how do sacraments work? And then look at 93 and just talk about how many sacraments are there. All right, drum roll. Tell us what sacraments are. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that sacraments are, they represent Christ and his benefits. Uh, so, as we'll see in question 93, there's two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And both of these uh, sacraments are, are seals and benefits, uh, pictures. I You know, they, they represent Christ to us. They remind us of the gospel. They are the gospel laid out to us in, I don't want to say picture form, but because it's more than that. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it reminds us who Christ is, what he's done for us, and our benefits within Christ. So, in sensible forms, maybe we could yeah, say. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, representing Christ and his benefits, you'll often hear people talk about the Lord's Supper and baptism as signs and seals. And signs, by their very nature, signify something beyond themselves. So if you were to, say, go to Las Vegas and you see the big iconic neon sign that says, Welcome to Vegas, you and I both know instinctually that that sign is not 
Vegas itself, but that the sign is signifying that Vegas is not far off in the distance. And so likewise, we don't believe that baptism or the Lord's Supper are the realities themselves, but rather that they point us to invisible spiritual realities. Randy Greenwald talks about that in his uh, book on the Shorter Catechism, right? Yeah, no, he, yeah, Randy, you know, sums up this way. He talks about that sacrament as a visible sign of God's invisible promises. Again, baptism, Lord's Supper, these are visible pictures of a, the invisible reality of, of God's promises. Uh, I mean, you could probably talk about like a wedding ring, uh, you know, that there's a, a sign and a symbol there that points to something that's bigger and better. And, and, and a lot of the cool parts of marriage is the things that are unseen. Yeah. And so, but the, the wedding ring represents, it shows us, it tells us something of the benefits of marriage, those promises. And so how much more does God give us um, with, with the sacraments particularly? Mm-hmm. Pointing us to really awesome things beyond themselves. But also, the sacraments have the effect of sealing. Now, a seal, we don't really do that very much today, especially in the DocuSign age. But back in the day, if somebody had a signet ring or they had a seal, they would use that seal to confirm and to verify that this document is legitimate, that it's true. It has this person's seal of approval, you might call it. And likewise, the sacraments seal God's promises to his people, reassuring them that they are indeed true. And this is an interesting thing that sometimes we, I think, lose in our baptism discussions and friendly debates among brothers and sisters in Christ. The Lord's Supper is very clearly a seal. It's a ratification, or not ratification, it's a confirmation to you and I Mm -hmm. that if we repent of our sins and fly to Jesus, who died for us, as is pictured here, that we are cleansed. Likewise, baptism is not primarily a sign of my faithfulness to God, but it's rather a sign of God's faithfulness to his covenant promises, because you look at baptism's analog in the old covenant, circumcision. Circumcision was something that God gave to Abraham. It's not something that Abraham said, hey, God, here's my faith. It's rather God reassuring him my promises for you are going to come to pass invariably. Not maybe in the timing that you want, but I'm a man, I'm a God of my word. Yeah, and and you see that kind of how baptism is laid out, how it's practiced is that the main actor, as it were, is God himself. Mm-hmm. Not, the, not the person getting baptized, but God bestowing his blessings and his promises on the individual. Yeah. And we'll talk about this more at length with baptism, but I think with circumcision, when did God give Abraham circumcision? It was when his faith in God's promises was failing, when he thought, I need to go have a son through Hagar because you know God made a promise. He's going to give me a son through Sarah, and I'm not seeing it. I don't believe in his promises. And God said, no, I'm going to reassure you by way of this sign that my promises are going to come true. And so God uses both baptism and the Lord's Supper in the lives of believers to seal to them, to remind them that their salvation is secure in God's hands, because after all, he is the God of our salvation. Now, 
We want to be careful too, as we talked about how these represent, they are not the spiritual realities themselves. You and I as Presbyterians, we've sprinkled some babies in our time. We don't believe that baptism saves anybody through the act, nor does the Lord's Supper communicate uh, salvation to every and all persons who partake of it, right? Right. So we don't want to conflate or confuse the sign with this thing signified. So thinking that baptism, the act of applying water to whether it be an infant child or an adult, and thinking that that's going to save them would be like stopping at the Welcome to Las Vegas sign and driving no further. It's a little bit silly. So a sign by its very nature is not the thing it signifies. It's just pointing you on to that thing. Yeah. Yeah. So second point, sacraments. I mean... How do sacraments work? How do they work? You tell me. How do they work? Well, and you were just kind of making this point. You know, you were introducing us to this reality. You know, first there's... You know, how's the catechism put? There's not by any virtue in them. So, in other words, there's no power in the bread or in the wine or in the water of baptism. You know, again, these are representative. You know, there's a, a ceiling. Um, there's a signness to it. And so, so like... You don't bless your water before you baptize or consecrate, you know, the mass elements or anything like that? Well, no. I mean, there's some things, you anyway, know, we pray... We pray. Um, and there's with the Lord's Supper, there's a sense of fencing and praying and being reminded of what this is and what this is about. But nothing changes. Mm-hmm. You know, the bread is bread. The the wine is wine. The, the water is water. Um, but again, just like the wedding ring, you know, there's something that represents that's bigger and better that's behind the sign that's kind of at work. Mm-hmm. Um and we'll see that here that you know there's the the blessing of Christ there's the spirit uh is at play you know uh it's not so much Christ being physically present in the elements but there's a sense that Christ is present through his spirit and through the faith of, of God's people and the confession says he's really and spiritually present and when we talk about the presence of Christ in the supper Chevin Dixhorn has a real good line about that in his book on the Westminster Confession of Faith, so we'll bring it up then. But yeah, to your point, we don't believe that there's any inherent virtue or power in the elements themselves, but nor do we believe that there's any, that the sacraments are more or less effective by virtue of, hey, you know, this is the golden tongue, you know, this is the best pastor in town, and certainly my baptism or my Lord's Supper are going to be of better quality by virtue of this guy being such an upstanding individual. Or, conversely, you know, my baptism has become invalidated because the guy who ended up baptizing me ended up being an unbeliever. So, you remember Donatism when our Presbytery exams, we talked about like the Donatist heresy and how it kind of relates to sacraments? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Back then, Donatus, he was kind of a schismatic fella in the ancient church, and he believed that any and all who had apostatized during a time, I think it was the Diocletian persecution, any and all that had apostatized, all the baptisms they performed were thereby invalidated. And that caused a lot of confusion in the church. People were wondering, have I been baptized? Does my baptism and the efficacy thereof depend upon this person maintaining faith and being a a genuine Christian? If, If they're not a genuine Christian, 
is my baptism invalidated? The answer to catechism gives is no, because even though the messenger may be sinful, the message is still the same. The power's in the message, not in the messenger. Now, we want to be clear, ministers of the gospel are the only ones to administer the sacraments, not because we're superhuman beings, but it's the office that God has ordained through which the sacraments are administered. Yeah. I mean, God has kind of, we could talk about this a little bit in the third point of how many sacraments there are, but there's, you know, God uses ordained ministers. And I would even, particularly in a Presbyterian context, even more than that, because you don't need just a minister. You also need a session. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, there's a lot more going on there. But what it is that God is going to communicate his benefits to his people using the church particularly to do that. Um, and I think that's important to really, you know, this is why we don't, you know, you don't do communion you know, with just your buds. With, yeah. With your friends or with your family or just by yourself or we're baptized in a swimming pool, yeah, you know, well, in your backyard. Yeah. And so there's something, I think there's something powerful to take communion, for example, with other brothers and sisters to be reminded, you know, I need this. And the person next to me, as they're doing it by faith, is showing you know, is showing me that they also need this. You know, I'm not alone um, in this. You know, just uh, as kind of living throughout the wilderness. You know, because you know in the Old Testament, there's a you know the the manna. God providing the manna was a kind of a for everyone. Yeah, for everyone is a reminder. You know of and here you know as New Testament in the church. Uh, there's kind of a, a continuation there that that God is using his people uh, to communicate his His grace and his mercy. You make a great point. The sacraments were given to the church, not to every individual believer without exception, but to the church as a collective. And so I love that you mentioned the word communion. Communion by its very nature implies not only communion with Christ through his spirit, but also communion with one another. Because you remember the Apostle Paul's critique in 1 Corinthians 11, where he said, one of you goes ahead and eats the supper, some of you get drunk. Don't you realize that the purpose of this meal is for you as the body of Christ to come together and to feed upon his, his body and blood, you know, not in a carnal or corporeal manner we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks, but through faith, that this is a family meal to which we've been invited by our Heavenly Father, and for us to I think, take these away from the institutional church in the name of kind of this rugged, individualistic, spiritual spirit that we may have is to strike against the intentions and the purpose of the sacraments. So the sacraments work not by any virtue in them, not by the virtue of him that works or administers them, but it's by the blessing of Christ. He's given these to bless us and by the work of his spirit. So that there's a, something else that's necessary for a sacrament to be effectual, something that, as it were, we need to bring to the table, and that is, Tommy? Well, it's faith. Yeah. I mean, this is what us having in faith in the one who gives us certain promises and benefits, It only the sacrament only works when we have faith in Jesus particularly mm-hmm. who gives us these objects of baptism or supper to communicate his promises and his benefits to us. Yeah. Um, so, and I think you say something there that 
maybe one of our Baptist friends or will say, ah, you need to bring faith. Well, a baby doesn't yet have faith, so can we actually do that? But hold that. Yeah, hold that for next week. Yeah, baptism. Baptism's next week, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. we'll talk about that. There's, you know, it's kind of like I, the way I explain baptism, it's like uh, gift cards. You know, you have a $100 gift card, but it's really of no use to you until you spend it. And so likewise, we've got promises made to us in baptism, and it's only once we have faith in Jesus that we see, wow, that baptism, you know, really is having its effect now, even even well, years later. Well, my son, this Sunday, is becoming a member. He's professing his faith. So what was foretold 10 years ago uh, is now being cashed in, as it were. Praise the Lord. That's so, encouraging. Yeah. Now, Tommy, why do we only have two sacraments, our third question? Because the catechism tells us there's only two. <laughs> Silly, Stephen. That's right. Why, why, does why the, only two? Well, one, I think the catechism, Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, you know, lists out seven. Um, but the main reason is, I mean, the catechism tells us, but more importantly, Jesus tells us that there's two, you know, that he is. They need to be, what, and what are the, what are the qualifications for something to pass muster as a sacrament? The catechism gives us a couple of rationales why there's only two what's the first one one is they were instituted by christ himself um we see that particularly you know we see this in the great commission you know go into all the world and baptize um and so he is christ is the one who's instituted uh that means to to you know that blessing to be laid out for his people and same thing with the Lord's Supper. He says, as often as you do this, drink and do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I think thereby implying that we are to do this until he comes. So 1 Corinthians 11, and the other places where it's administered in the Gospels. The one question that I got at my ordination exam, do you remember it? Somebody asked a question on sacraments? Uh, I don't remember it. Why is a foot washing like that we find in John 13, why is that not a sacrament? Christ seemingly instituted it. It's a sensible sign. It's a tangible, physical sign, which is another rec- another requirement for it to be a sacrament. So, for example, matrimony, uh, ordination, extreme unction, penance, these seven sacraments of the Roman Catholic Church, not all of them are sensible, meaning physical, tangible things. But G.I. Williamson, he's citing Hodge. He makes a good point. We need to see that Christ commanded that these be observed in perpetuity, that is, until he comes. The foot washing, Jesus said, I'm doing this for you as an example, not as a sacrament. He didn't say, do this until I return, but rather giving them an example of humility. So, I thought that was intriguing question. I, I can't remember how I responded, but I, I love that somebody asked me because it seemingly fits the bill for why we keep the Lord's Supper and baptism. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the sacraments, they're very plain, very ordinary. Uh, so, I guess then we have no latitude to kind of improve upon them or to Maybe we maybe we say, hey, our our church is going to do foot washings in worship, and we're going to uh, incorporate that into our liturgy. Why would you dissuade somebody from from doing that? 
of not doing a foot washing or adding what they say are sacraments or you know well i I mean again you know we kind of stress that these are the only these are the only two christ has has instituted he's these are the ones that he has commanded um and so and since you know he hasn't he didn't command foot washing he didn't command you know other means of different you know signs so so he is so his regular principle right yeah kind of coming back to yeah our on. second commandment stuff yeah so you know christ has designed worship to be simple to communicate his benefits and you know baptism of the lord's supper the only two that are commanded for us to do so mm-hmm. worship as god has designed it it's kind of like a woman who's naturally beautiful she doesn't need makeup and the makeup actually doesn't help it can even kind of mar and obscure the the natural beauty and that's what we have in those visible signs of invisible promises of christ so we've got for our interview on sacraments yeah, Mr. Ian Hamilton. There's an accent for you. Yeah, so listen in on Thursday, all the way from the other side of the pond. That's right. Uh, he taught me at Greenville, my pastoral theology class, and you've been in his home. In, when he was in Cambridge, yeah. So scholarly. You went to Cambridge. I know, I studied. Studied in Cambridge. Look at you. All right, well, enjoyed the episode today, everybody. Thanks so much for being with us. We're looking forward to the next couple of weeks, where we really kind of hone in on these sacraments. Of course, if there are any questions, complaints, refer all of those to one Tommy Park at ruf.org. And thanks again for joining us. Look forward to talking with you next time. Till then, keep it short. How do the sacraments become effectual means of salvation? Dum, 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 doodly-um. The sacraments become Effectual means of salvation. Doop 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 a doop a doop a dee-um. Not from any virtue in them or in him. That doth administer them, but only by the blessing of Christ and love. Working of his spirit in them, that by faith receive them. Doth administer them, but only by the blessing of.